0: Hey there dive buddies and welcome to the show. On today's episode I have Dr. Matt Carter who is a marine archaeologist and the research director for the Major Projects Foundation. He is an international fellow of the Explorers Club, a vice president of the Australian Institute for Maritime Archaeology and a New Zealand representative on the ICOMOS International Committee on Underwater Cultural Heritage. Since 2006... Matt has worked on archaeological projects in 12 different countries, ranging from excavating ancient shipwrecks in the Mediterranean to surveying World War II wrecks in the Pacific. Having combined archaeological, commercial and technical diving for over a decade, today Matt works to protect the marine ecosystems, cultures and livelihoods threatened by polluting shipwrecks in the Pacific. Matt is the leading technical diving maritime archaeologist in Australasia. Matt, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's great to be here.
0: Oh, it's great. Now you can do a bit of talking because I'm out of breath doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: it's pretty long-winded.
0: <laughs> we'll get the message across. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, just to clarify, do you want to break it down into English terms? Just pretend I'm a bit of a dummy because I am and just break down what it is you actually do and what you're achieving.
1: Um, well, basically, my job now is i work for a foundation and we investigate all these shipwrecks around the pacific that are left over from the second world war which are full of uh, oil unexploded ordnance and various chemical nasties and no one's got a handle on them so we're we set out to actually investigate what impact they may have
0: okay and who came up with the idea because i mean when you first mentioned it to me um and you know, my initial response was that I've been diving for all these years and going on wrecks and thinking how awesome they are and the blackjack in Papua New Guinea and God knows what else. And it didn't even dawn on me to think about any oils or fuels that are left in the in the wrecks themselves.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, it's not a big thing in the Pacific. It's not well known. But you go to the Baltic or even the US and it's been a research area for 20 30 years basically um and they've got a bit more of a handle on it in the pacific no one's really wanted to know or really taken that much care so uh the the i guess the director of my foundation he was up diving in um Chuk lagoon or truck mm-hmm. lagoon as some of your listeners will know yeah. and he came up um, with oil bubbling out of one of these wrecks and he said no, is anyone doing anything about this and the, the guide said no no one really cares he's like oh that's crap, let's, <laughs> let's, let's fix this problem. It's a problem that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. The oceans are getting a hammering from every other angle. This is a problem that we can fix. It doesn't need to be there.
0: Okay. So um, what's, the, I mean, what's the scale of it? Put it into you know, some sort of perspective. Is it, it's not just some little little wrecking chuck and that's it, is it?
1: No, not quite. So once you start digging into it, and this is what really shocked me when I first got involved with the foundation and started doing some some pretty serious research is that there's thousands of shipwrecks right across the Pacific. So down from Japan out to New Zealand, it's about 3,800 wrecks um, with pollution potential. So, you know, thousands of shipwrecks. Hmm. And uh, we've managed to narrow that down to a list of 55 really critical ones, which basically should have been surveyed 30 years ago, but no one has got to it. So yeah. now we're, we're behind the eight ball. But we're getting out and we're starting to tick them off the list to get an idea of, of that fifty-five.
0: Yeah. So how how did you whittle it down then? What makes them critical?
1: Um, there's a range of factors which make them more um, more of a risk. So if they're in shallower water, then they're more likely to get impacted by storms and things like that. So if they do have oil, then the storm's gonna break them up sooner. So it's like, well, we actually have to do those ones yeah. first, but shallower. I mean Basically, storm surges—they can go down to about 100, 120 meters. <laughs> so that's our—that's our kind of um, working range. So <laughs> down from you know, zero to one hundred and twenty meters, thousands of shipwrecks. So I think I've got a bit of job security. Yeah, that's <laughs> down. To, I think you're going to be you know,
0: diving for a few years yet. Eh? <laughs> well, that's the plan. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what's the um what's what's the way that you're going to clear it all up effectively?
1: Well, it's the real challenge is, I mean, um. There's two ways of looking at it. One, it's pretty simple. Um, in the US, uh, in the Baltic again, what they do is they just find the shipwreck, they find out how much oil's on it or predict how much oil's on it, send down um, either an ROV or commercial divers, mm-hmm. drill a hole in the side and pump it out. And this is, you know, bread and butter for mm. salvage companies. They do this stuff all the time, um, it happens quite frequently. But it does cost quite a lot of money. Mm. Probably talking between, like, absolute minimum, a million bucks, US, mm. more likely $5 million. There's some which have been $20, $20, 30000000 million. So, you know, huge amounts of money. Yeah. But it can be done quite easily. We're not saying that we're going to be doing that in the Pacific. Mm. Um, ideally, it would be great because it, it removes a threat. Yeah. But for a start, we can just find out where the wrecks are. And that's the thing, like, you talk to the authorities in, say, places like um, the Solomon Islands, and they don't actually know where these potentially polluting wrecks are. So they can't even have like, build a, a response plan. So we're going to them and saying, okay, this wreck's here. We've got evidence that it's leaked oil in the past. If it leaks oil in the future, mm. it's going to wash up on this beach. You probably want to organise some sort of response plan, whether that's trying to catch it with um, booms and things like that or just some guys with shovels who can dig up the sand and get off the beach as mm. quickly as possible. So kind of working a bit pragmatically to the conditions.
0: Yeah. But then you've got, you know, um, the possibilities of being able to respond to it a lot more effectively. Yeah. Well, and
1: the thing is too, is if you can pump it out, you can remove it from, from the situation. If you let it um, leak out, mm. then you're in a world of trouble like, even in the best conditions, uh, they only recover about five to ten percent of an oil spill. So, you know, you see those those pictures of huge kind of spills of leaks of oil across the water. Mm. They can only ever cut, recover about five to ten percent of that. So, yeah, ideally, get it before it happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I saw the um, the one that caught my eye. I guess a year ago now was the um, the oil tanker accident that occurred in Mauritius. Um, yep. I've got a couple of mates out there. Um, in fact, give a shout out for Tony at Crystal Divers. He was putting out um, almost like almost daily um, videos showing you know him and uh, Dino Jenkins were running around the island and t- just doing little videos to show what was going on. Um, but I think they kind of reacted quite well, the locals. But the devastation—I I don't know how long it's going to be before it's all cleared up and the after effects have disappeared.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it can be something like, you know, 50, 100 years. And especially in Mauritius, such a um, amazing, I think it's a World Heritage Area or something like that, yeah. for the, um, the corals and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the challenge we have in the Pacific is, if this happens, the time it takes to respond. So there was a, um, a grounding up in the Solomon Islands, 2019, and it took the, the ship... That went ashore, was still leaking one month after the it started leaking. That's how long it took to mobilise um, salvage teams from Singapore to get out there. So the distances we're working with are enormous. Yeah. So you know, it just makes so much sense to to remove the threat ahead of time.
0: What's the what's happening with the the salvage side of things then? Because it's a, a month to mobilise. I thought they had salvage teams good to go. And is it just the politics of who's going to pay for it and all that kind of thing?
1: That was a really complicated one. Um, Solomon Trader, yeah. So, yeah. basically, initially, I think the um, – yeah, I don't, I don't want to get sued, so I don't want to go too, too, <laughs> <into>, too <laughs> much
0: thin ice not we?
1: <laughs> yeah. It, let's just say the alarm wasn't raised straight away. Yeah. And um, there was various complications and, and distance mm. and weather and all the rest of it. So, mm. you know, it's the nature of, of – salvage I yeah. think so you know in terms of these shipwrecks that we're working with just take that out of the equation yeah. and um, you know, be proactive plan ahead and that's that's kind of where we're going but it's, it's interesting because it's a bit of a, um, a step sideways from maritime archaeology I suppose in its traditional sense and yeah. this is I guess where I am now so yeah a bit different
0: It seem to be leading the way on it
1: well that's the thing um, it's there are definitely crossovers and it's something which uh, a lot of my background really feeds into this stuff. So um, the commercial diving I've done, um, the technical diving, and just, I guess, the general love of shipwrecks and mm. also recent shipwrecks. So you get some maritime archaeologists who are what I'd call purists, yeah. politely, you know, <laughs> who they wouldn't dive on anything that's not wooden. They just don't have any interest where, yeah. for me, it's, being able to go into a World War II shipwreck and that history is so recent. Yeah, And to be able to experience that, it's a, it's a real thrill.
0: Oh, mate, I, don't, I, can't, I, I can't even comprehend people being picky about diving. Just give me a puddle. As long as it's got something in there to look at, I'm happy. Yeah,
1: especially <laughs> at the moment, eh? With everyone in lockdown
0: and
1: oh. diving anything.
0: I'm actually getting used to diving in coldish water around Sydney. It's a shock to the system. I'm used to the temperate warm as you know, 30-degree water. Lovely stuff. In fact, I've just realized we've dove straight in at the deep end. I didn't even ask you about <laughs> the background of diving. Where did where did diving start for you?
1: Um, so I'm a Kiwi, as you may have picked no. up. um <laughs> so I started diving uh, when I was sixteen at high school, um, out of Christchurch. There's a so in the South Island, New Zealand there and pretty rubbish conditions. Um, crap cold water. Yeah. And I stuck with it. And then I actually went further south, I went down to Dunedin. And you're talking eight degrees midwinter wetsuits because couldn't afford a dry suit. I was at university, <laughs> so shitty viz and um, cold water. But it just kind of went from there. And and what you find in New Zealand is a lot of um, the diving is hunter gathering, like it's all crayfish and power, so abalone,
0: yeah.
1: and if you start going sideways and looking at like shipwrecks and things like that, you're like, what are you doing that for? There's no crayfish there. <laughs> Get the bloody <laughs> so,
0: food, you idiot.
1: <laughs> stop wasting your time. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, I, I dived a couple of pretty, pretty special wrecks. Um, there's the Mikhail Lumitov, mm. uh, which is a Russian cruise liner which sunk in the 80s up in um, the Marlborough Sounds, and mm. it's a full-on cruise ship. It's enormous. And it's only, like, I think it starts at 12 metres. It's on its side. 12 to 35, so mm. perfect, um, you know, beginner-level wreck diving. Just yeah. don't penetrate it, obviously, until you've got the, the qualifications. But that just, yeah, completely blew my mind. I'm like, wow, that's a shipwreck. That's 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 the Yes, that's, that's for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go for it. Yeah.
0: I think I've seen that one on a, um, a series a few years ago. There was a, a dive series. I think it was a Canadian dude and a, a Kiwi. Mm. They did yep. five yep. or six episodes, and I think that was one of them. Look pretty big.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the best dive sites in New Zealand.
0: In yeah. Yeah. I might, I might be tempted to give it a go next time I'm down in Kiwi land. But we'll, see. well, that's
1: the thing. I mean, we're not going to be going too much further. So hopefully, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hopefully, uh, trans Tasman bubble opens.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. I keep, I keep trying to nudge Miko, uh, Miko Passi, to you know give me a hint and a discount on a uh, your suit, dry suit or something like that. Because uh, nothing fits anymore. I need to get something new. <laughs> yeah, they shrink. They shrink.
1: I'm sure that's the problem. <laughs>
0: yeah, especially with a COVID cushion. Um, that's right. So we got the teenage guy and getting you, your food. Where did the commercial diving come into it, and obviously the tech diving as well?
1: Yeah. So um, one of the one of the kind of strange situations in Australia and New Zealand, um, scientific diving, it's it's kind of at a level, mm. but to do. To get paid to work underwater, you basically have to do a commercial course. And not as much now, but this is going back you know, almost 10 years now. Mm. So, you know, to be a scientific diver, you had to do the commercial course. Now, on the commercial course, I was doing underwater welding, um, underwater chainsaws, all this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I'm probably not going to use them in my day job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, surface supply, um, Kirby Morgan helmets, awesome yeah. stuff. And... It's just, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's just problem solving on a big scale with big toys, yeah. which, which I loved. And I've kind of pushed that forward into um, some of the stuff I'm doing now. And um, it's, a, yeah, it's an interesting skill set to combine with um, the scientific diving. Yeah. Now, with the, I guess, the technical diving side of things is um, basically very, very few maritime archaeologists have gone down the technical path. So in Australia, um, there's essentially no one else who's a professional maritime archaeologist who dives deeper than thirty meters. So okay. whether that's um, open circuit trimix or closed circuit rebreathers, it's yeah. just no one else. So um, I managed to make, I guess, a bit of a niche of that for myself, hmm. and that goes back to um, 2009. I was I was quite fortunate. I applied for this scholarship um, called the the Our World underwater australasian rolex scholarship so if you're talking about <laughs> mouthfuls that's a mouthful but um it, it's worth looking up so i'll say it again <laughs> our world underwater australasian rolex scholarship okay so if you haven't heard of this before basically i got the scholarship um like about three of them internationally every year one okay. to a north american one to an Australasian, one to a european and basically you, you set up for a year and you travel all around the world diving in your field of interest. So I I travelled to, I think, 10 different countries, um, worked on projects. That's where I kind of really got my my foot in the door with maritime archaeology, Mediterranean, uh, Scarpa Flow, Cenotes in Mexico, Great Lakes, Mm -hmm. all over the shop. And you're sponsored by Rolex, you're sponsored by amazing dive-year companies like Fourth Element. Um, Sign me up. Yeah, well, <laughs> the problem is um, you've got to be under 25. Oh,
0: so I'm completely screwed <laughs> on that front. <laughs> yeah,
1: not, not wanting to, you know, make assumptions about your age than that. But, yeah. yeah, thanks, buddy. Yeah, but essentially um, it was during that year I was up in the Great Lakes up in um, North America and I was working with the Wisconsin Historical Society mm. and sounds like a pretty – run-of-the-mill organization but they kind of really set the bar for technical diving uh in maritime archaeology Mm. and the great lakes like the shipwrecks there you've probably seen some photos they're just amazing they're like snap frozen time disney shipwrecks yeah the the are still standing vertical and things Mm -hmm. so i was doing some work with them and um started my tech side uh you know doing the kind of open circuit Aspect and then I went back in 2010, and that's when I got onto rebreathers um, yeah. and started diving. And they're an incredible tool for, for maritime archaeology for scientific diving.
0: What's that? Um, just think of the the Great Lakes. That's um, I'm thinking a TV series again. Didn't Monty Hall dive one up there?
1: Basically, if you can get there, it's yeah. it's incredible. Um, I've never seen shipwrecks like it. And it's funny because, you know, the locals, they kind of take it for granted because they've dived so many of them. It's like, oh, yeah, it's not that good. And it's the best dive of your life. Every dive (laughs) is the next best dive of your life. And everything from, you know, 30 metres, even shallow. But some of the deeper stuff is just mind-blowing intact. Um, We dive, we were on a wreck called the Lakeland. Okay. And it was a car ferry from the 1920s, I think. Yeah. So it sank. And there's these 1920s vintage cars sitting on the seabed beside it. So yeah, you're diving <laughs> on the shipwreck with, with cars. It's, oh, it was incredible. I
0: was just looking at – got the name of it. It was the Ghost Ship of Thunder Bay by the looks yep. of it. You didn't dive that one, did you?
1: No, not that one. Oh, That's kind of dude. further up. We were, we were out of um, Wisconsin, more in Lake Michigan.
0: Uh, but, my geography is well off there, isn't it?
1: <laughs> oh, it's, it's roundabout.
0: Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, oh, I saw, I saw and that it's, one. It's, it's like it looks insanely clear for something so old.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that um, like oh, I don't know, forty, fifty years ago, the lakes were actually quite turbid, so you couldn't see very much at all. Yeah. But there was a infestation of uh, zebra mussels, so the little mussels. They came in in the ballast of um, some ships yeah. and they just yeah, multiplied massively and essentially they filtered it. So they just filtered the entire Great Lakes. And the <laughs> Great Lakes are, you know, like, I don't know, a massive proportion of the world's fresh water. Yeah. And they filtered it out. So I was talking to this old-timer and he was saying he'd found this shipwreck. And when he dived it, he couldn't see the shipwreck. So he had like a blip on his fish finder, mm. dived down there, couldn't see it because the vis was so crap, but felt I felt this entire intact shipwreck. When we dived it, I think we had like 25 feet of this. So just the change is enormous. But yeah, it's an incredible place.
0: I think we'll have to accidentally tip some zebra mussels into the shoreline here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think there may be regulations against that.
0: Uh, Just a little bit. (laughs) So um, Major Projects Foundation, what's the background?
1: Basically, um, these shipwrecks, um, World War Two shipwrecks, and this director of ours, he, he made it a personal mission essentially that um, this is a problem the ocean doesn't need. Um, he's got a background in environmental remediation, mm. which is a, um, a fancy way of saying that he runs a demolition company, but is used to doing things like big projects and, you know, actually in an environmentally friendly way if there's contaminated soil. Yeah. You have to move that away, and so he's like, "Well, you know, these are just contaminated sites underwater, and you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we're going to take the shipwrecks eh? away. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, that's really not that practical. And one of the challenges too is that, um, you know, places like Truk Lagoon, these yeah. shipwrecks are just absolutely central to the local economy. Yeah. So basically, in in Chuk, um, their largest owner of foreign income, like cash, yeah. is Tourists, diving tourists. Hmm. So we are in no way saying, you know, let's stop diving. And, you know, I wouldn't stand for that either because I love diving. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, there, there is a concern with these shipwrecks and, and we can manage it by by investigating them yeah. um, and removing their threat so they can remain you know, some of the best diving in the world. And essentially, um, with all that being said, I was, I was here in Melbourne sitting at my desk and it was 2018. And I saw this news story about um, this couple who'd bought a former New Zealand Navy diving ship. Mm. So it was the New Zealand Dive Ops vessel decommissioned and this couple had bought it up in Newcastle to go investigate these World War II shipwrecks. And I'm seeing at my desk going, what? <laughs> they, they bought it? They bought a warship going in. And so um, that was on like Channel 7 News or something. And I was like, that's how I came across them. This is the...
0: Yeah, I saw. That. I think I saw that on your. That was on your your Twitter, I think, wasn't it? You got the. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's got a hyperbaric chamber on there and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Is that the one? Oh, it's incredible. It looks insane. Like, I, I saw it on the news. and I thought, wow, that sounds pretty amazing. I was real skeptical, though. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, they, these guys—they must have an ulterior motive or, um, you know, something. And I, I was in Sydney actually, and the ship's based up in Newcastle, so I sent them a message and said. A maritime archaeologist, really interested in, in what you're doing. Can I come visit?
0: Yeah.
1: And so I went up there and they took me on a tour of the, of the ship. Yeah. Of, um, it's now called the um, the research vessel Ocean Recovery. And I was just like a kid in a candy store. You, know, you walk in, the the rib that's on the back is kind of like the nicest rib <laughs> as a marine archaeologist. I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. <laughs> the rib is better than most boats that we get. And it's sitting on this um 45-metre like survey vessel. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, a 15 ton crane um, a dive bow recompression chamber so in terms of equipment for for this mission of potentially pleading wrecks it's just the perfect vessel
0: okay. and
1: I got to know um, Paul Paul Adams and his wife Wilma who yeah. are the directors yeah. and they don't have an ulterior, ulterior motive they genuinely want to help they're in this for the kind of the right reasons mm. and I said well that's amazing um, I'll volunteer for you I'll I'll be in charge of your research. Hmm. So I worked for them, um, at pro bono, volunteer for, uh, I think, 15, 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's turned into like a full-time permanent role. So I've been with them full-time since the start of 2020. So, you know, was, um, <laughs> yeah, starting, starting a new job right at the start of 2020, I was like, yes. And then half through I was like, no, no. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> I'm completely grounded. I can't even get up to the sites that are, you know, our, our main research sites. But the thing yeah. is, is um, there's a phenomenal amount of research that we can do behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the stuff I'm doing now. So bringing together yeah. the resources and understanding what's out there. And the ships, um, as I said earlier, there's 55 of them. And they're concentrated mainly in Chuk Lagoon. I think okay. there's 17 there. Um, up in Bikini Atoll. There's nine um, ships. Mm. After that, we go to the Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, Palau, mm. um, Guam. Mm. So, quite a quite a wide geographic distribution.
0: Mm.
1: But um, yeah, some pretty pretty kind of I guess uh, challenging conditions in terms of working in those countries. Yeah. They just don't have the resources or the expertise yeah. to do this themselves. Yeah. So that's that's where we come into the equation.
0: Fair one. Well, I, can, I, I, I can't do much on the archaeology archeolo- front but as and when you intend to hit Papua New Guinea um, I'm more than happy to help you out mate um, awesome. just, just uh, having, having lived there and I had the um, um, the Blue 0 boat boat sorry, uh, Master PNG Solomon's, uh, the, the old side boat and I, I was with them back end of 2019 as they were doing their first trip into Papua New Guinea just to give them a hand and get used to communication with the locals. It was awesome and it's Amazing. such a fantastic Amazing. place to be.
1: And that's part of what we see too is like in the, the post-COVID world, hopefully um, you know, we can actually bring a bit of interest and a bit of attention to these shipwrecks mm. and then that can help out the local communities through tourism and things like that. So, you know, trying to trying to make it work for, for everyone in the best way possible. But yeah. a lot of what we're doing is, um, is relying on or like speaking with, Divers essentially, because they're the ones with the knowledge. So you look at your Lagoon again, and you know, the vast majority of diving that's been done there is is by you know, technical divers. Mm. Take some great photos, all the rest of it. So it's about communicating with them and saying, how can we, you know, get your get your footage or um, you know, work together to make this. Mm. You know, look, find solutions basically.
0: Yeah. So if if there's anyone listening to this podcast and want to send you bits and pieces of Video footage and all that kind of thing, are they able to do that?
1: Absolutely. And that's yeah. the thing, we're looking especially for footage shows um, leaking oil or um, I guess the condition of the wrecks as well. So, for example, the, the Rio de Janeiro Maru, mm-hmm. um, it's lying on its side. The bow collapsed, I think, in 2014. So, to get photos before the bow collapsed and then after, you know, that's the kind of information that's really useful for us. To understand you know when it collapsed did oil you know was it released from the the four tanks and things like that so mm. yeah and it's um going forward uh especially for, through things like um photogrammetry so um i think Miko, yeah he touched on this in his yeah. presentation but um it's this this process we use to record the ships and essentially what we do is we take video or photos of to all different angles of, of parts of the ship or the ship in its entirety. Hmm. And you put it through some some pretty whiz bang software um called Agisoft uh um, MetaShape is the one that, that I use. And the thing is I'm not a I'm not a computer guru, so yeah. it's, it's actually not that complicated. Um but you can make uh, accurate records of exactly what condition that ship is or that part of that ship hmm. to you know, sub centimetre accuracy uh from a GoPro. Or wow. you know, if you want to scale up to you know, DSLR cameras and the rest of it. But that's something um, like Pete Mesley of uh, Lust for Us Diving. Yeah. He's doing some amazing work up in Chuk, um, basically 3D modelling the wrecks. We're doing the same stuff, so we're, we're working together. But you know, if, if people are going to these locations and they want to, I guess, add add something new or add something a little bit more um, to give back with their diving, then that's a real... Um, accessible
0: way that they can do it yeah okay well maybe we can put some links into the um the, the podcast notes on how people can send information to you and yeah, yep. then Excellent. you'll get inundated and it'll give you something to do for the rest of the year if we get locked down again <laughs> that's
1: right yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be great and people will see me these amazing dive photos i'll just wish i'm there yeah <laughs> be stuck yeah. in my office
0: like ah, <laughs> so what's um what's the rest of the year looking like for you you got any kind of Plans to to get any any diving done?
1: Yeah, so um, I've, I've thought of it as a bit of a, I guess, a, a good time to do a bit more training and um, upskill and things like that. So I'm actually doing my crossover course onto the JJ um, CCR. Hmm. I'm doing that with uh, Jeffrey Glenn. Yes, so, chopper. <laughs> so we've got that lined up in um, April.
0: Happy days. And
1: we've actually been quite fortunate. We received a, a small grant to record. One of these shipwrecks in Australia. So, in Victoria, where I'm based, there's a wreck in Bass Strait called the Cambridge. Mm-hmm. It was sunk in 1940 by a German mine. So you had these German um, merchant raiders. Mm-hmm. So essentially merchant ships, which they camouflaged, filled them with mines, and then sailed them all the way down here and mined a lot of the harbors around Australia and New Zealand. Like real devious, real cheeky stuff, and essentially they put these mines out um, in Bass Strait to the entrance to the Port of Melbourne, Hmm. and the Cambridge was this enormous ship, 140, 160 metres long, huge, hit one of these mines and sunk. Uh, Unfortunately today, it's now located in a marine park, Mm -hmm. so you've got this, um, this World War II shipwreck, and no one knows how much oil it's got. And it's um in its bunkers, so we're going out there to actually do the first archaeological survey of the wreck, which happens to be in a marine reserve, a marine park, and yet none of the authorities have any idea how much oil is in it. They actually told wow. us that it was a um a coal powered ship, so you know a coal steamship. Yeah, it's not going to do anything. And we're like, well, actually, um, our, our research right here. See this? <laughs> uh, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, so. They didn't take too kindly to that, but um, it'll be interesting to see how they react when we show them this intact shipwreck with potentially, you know, hundreds of tonnes of oil on it sitting right off the shore. So just because you don't want to know about it, doesn't mean it's not there.
0: (laughs) Not hell. And how how deep is it?
1: It's actually quite deep. It's uh, about 68, the sand. So it's going to be quite complex. Um, we We did a survey a couple of years ago off Sydney on the Japanese midget sub there. And that was in 56 metres. And that was one of the deepest maritime archaeology projects in Australia. So yeah. we ran, like, rebreathers, whole team on that. This is going to be another step up because the midget are, <laughs> as the name would suggest, 24 metres long. <laughs> uh, this thing's bloody <laughs> 150, 160, you know, whatever it is, in 68 metres. So um, to, to model this, to record this, is going to be a bit more challenging. But... Um, yeah, we've got, we've got a pretty cool team yeah. and scooters and all that cool
0: gear. So. Yeah, so you're going to go and play with big boys toys and get some awesome photos?
1: That's the idea. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and some data, some serious data. Yeah. No, it's not <laughs> yeah. playing serious stuff.
0: Now, I'm, I'm sure you can correct me if i got this wrong, but I, I saw, I don't know whether it was on your feed or someone else's, but when, it, when you're looking at the pollutants that are inside the wrecks, um, is there a way of using um, biological um what's the
1: word? Bioremediation.
0: That's the one. That's the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> one of those one of those technical answer. doctor words I can't think of.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well that's the interesting thing too, is um it very much is doctor word stuff. So yeah. um we've got a the major projects foundation that's got a relationship with the University of Newcastle out of um Newcastle in Australia. Yeah. And they're experts in bioremediation. And mm. what that essentially is is Um, growing bacteria that's going to eat uh, eat digest um oil Hmm. so this is quite common on land Um, you have something like a a site which was an old um service station or something like that Hmm. and they knock the service station down and then they put this bacteria through the soil and it breaks down the the hydrocarbons the oil underwater it's not really um, as well developed but the university of newcastle has put forward a scholarship for a um a microbiologist from fiji and she's actually investigating um a bacteria that grows on oil in shipwrecks so okay. we we're up in tuk 2019 and recovered a couple of samples of oil from um, a couple of wrecks up there shinkoku maru and uh the Kosini Maru, and she's in the lab at the moment isolating the bacteria and basically trying to turbocharge them. Mm. So like down the track, it might be a way that you can put that back into the wreck mm. and that breaks down the oil. Because one of the challenges we're facing is that these wrecks have been underwater for 75 odd years, mm. uh corroding every single day. That it's potentially not as easy as just drilling a hole in the side because you might collapse the whole bloody thing. But if there's a way you could do it passively, so inject this um this bacteria into the oil. And actually, have that break it down. And what it does, the, the byproduct, so it breaks it down, it's just like carbon dioxide and, and water. So mm. completely environmentally neutral. So potentially a really exciting aspect.
0: Oh fingers crossed. So yeah. she, she's busy working on that one then.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Mm. Yep. So <laughs> you know, email her. How's it going? Yeah. Working? <laughs> <laughs> Stop give, give, us. give us an update.
0: Yeah. That's
1: right.
0: It's 24 hours in a day, work 26. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how, uh, it's, a, it's a very big question, but how long do you think it's going to take you to just sort out these 55 alone, let alone anything else that comes up along the along the way?
1: That's a challenge. I mean, essentially, if we had unlimited resources, we mm. could get out there and just absolutely smash it. You know, you could set up the boat and just go from spot to spot to spot mm. until – I don't know, my hair's completely grey and you know gone. <laughs> but um, at the moment, a lot of it is um, building awareness. So, for example, if you think of things like ocean plastics. Yeah. Everyone knows about ocean plastics, how destructive they are, mm. and I'm not saying they're not. But some of that attention could be directed towards these other things, like um, marine pollution. Uh, these shipwrecks we're dealing with, mm. um, and we can we can remove that. So, if we had more resources, uh, we could definitely do it faster. But um, mm. It's something I'm in it for the, for the long haul, I suppose. It's it's mm. it's a real motivation for me, I guess. So going from kind of traditional maritime archaeology where you know, I love it. I love diving on old shipwrecks and you see these artifacts you're like, wow, it's amazing. But it's just amazing. We're, what we're doing now is amazing but also has genuine environmental uh, impacts and kind of positive ways of doing it. And so that's, I guess, um, something that really pushes me and motivates me to Mm. To write that next grant, write that next bloody email <laughs> to, to try and get more funding. So, yeah, yeah.
0: But you hit the nail on the head. It's it, it's awareness. I mean, I was completely oblivious, and I'm actually embarrassed to say that, but it's true. It didn't even cross my mind.
1: Well, it's it's not really that surprising. But one of the things is too is um, you know, it's the oil, but it's also the unexploded ordnance mm. as well. When you dive on wrecks as a wreck diver in the Pacific, you go, know, oh, look at that, it's a bomb. <laughs> oh, look at that, it's a mine. No. No dramas whatever and the thing is it's not not necessarily the um the explodey part you know Mm. it's not necessarily going to explode and kill you Mm. but what you also have is that a lot of these things a lot of these um armaments have some really nasty chemicals Mm. and as they corrode you get these little pinhole corrosion holes and this acid and the rest of it actually comes out and that's in itself is a real a huge concern as well so not only have we got these shipwrecks, some of them have got unexplored ordnance. But then if you look at the kind of a general issue more broadly, hmm. there's these huge dumping areas all around the Pacific where surplus um, armaments were dumped by the US Army, yeah, by the US forces. Hmm. Um, off the coast of Australia, significant like big dumping areas as well. Most of them are pretty deep. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a real concern that not many people know about. So yeah, <laughs> I think I've had a couple of lifetimes of work
0: to to sort all this out. Yeah, I think so. There's a there's um actually two two feet resort in Papua New Guinea, just off the wharf, you, literally at the front of the dive shop. You can ju- you can dive straight down and at thirty thirty six ish it starts. There's a torpedo, and the first time I'd, I I dove down to have a look at that, I was like this is great, and then that little moment of, hold on a moment, there's a little bit of ordnance in there, and it might be one of those old-fashioned ones that's got a, a, an oxygen bottle in there as well, and
1: <laughs> don't want to yeah, get too
0: uh, close to it and tap it with your fins.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, one of the great things we've got, we've got a guy who's um, ex-Canadian um, clearance diver. Oh yeah. So he, he was in the Navy for years and years, and then he, he kind of moved up to managing the removal and disposal of all the stuff. And so he's one of our kind of um, advisors. Hmm. So I'll be like, "What's that? He'll, oh, that's a Mark IV." Blah 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 blah. Tell us all about it. And then he'll give me the paperwork, and he goes, "Under no uncertain conditions to go, go anywhere near this. Um, you know, make sure that the team knows all about this. No particulates on the suits, and all this kind of stuff."
0: Yeah.
1: Like you look at the the actual paperwork, and some of the stuff is really nasty. And I think um, just because we don't think about it or don't know about it. You just can't take it for granted, but when you look at it and the potential for harm, it's like, oh shit! Actually, yeah. um, we need to take a bit more of a, a close notice on that.
0: Yeah. Does he get all excited when there's something dangerous? Does he get? He a, does, yeah, a little bit of a glint in the eye of <laughs> I want to blow this shit up kind of thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, he sent me some videos of some of the like the explosions and things, and they have like um, the the detonation charge they put on is tiny, tiny, tiny out. so mm. if it's inert it just goes bang yeah but if it's still alive it goes, boom, you know <laughs> I, think, I think that's part of the advantage of you know, being a clearance driver where you just kind of got that thrill that, that, that need for that but yeah. yeah I mean it's a global problem too you look all around the world there's so much of the stuff in the ocean yeah. it's
0: crazy well like you say keep you busy <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me about this um, ocean decade stuff
1: yeah, so um, basically uh, there's all these kind of high-level things. So the UN, um, they put out ideas and these kind of programs which they try and get everyone behind to, to make things happen. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, um, there's a new one, 2021 to 2030. It's called the Ocean Decade of oh, Sustainable uh, Ocean Decade of Science for Sustainable Development or something, mm-hmm. which, again, it's it's – Wanker, <laughs> doctor speak. But what they're trying to do, it's, their hearts are in the right place. They want to mobilise all these organisations. So around the world, you know, there's all these different ocean organisations and they're all pulling in different directions. Mm. So they're trying to make them all focus towards making things happen um, in, a, in a, I guess, an action-oriented way. So yeah. instead of just talking about shit, they're actually doing it. Yeah. And that's what we see our organisation doing. Um, Doing, we're actually doing things. We're mm. not just talking. We're going out there and investigating it and solving an issue. So some of these shipwrecks, they're not going to have a mm. going to leak. It's going to have leaked out. But until we actually assess that, you can't tick that off the list. Yeah. So when people go, oh, yeah, there's no wall on that. How do you know that? Are you, uh, you know, have you done an assessment? <laughs> oh no, I've just got a feeling.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> mate, a feeling is not enough. We actually need to check this, and yeah. then we can put that to the side and go to the next one. And, you know, which may have oil, may have unexploded ordnance, which is Mm. a lot more of a concern. But essentially, yeah, that that ocean decade stuff, it's a way of really bringing the ocean to to the forefront of what's going on. Because when you start looking at issues like climate change and all this stuff, Mm. the ocean is a big player in all of that. And we're doing our best to absolutely smash it, you know, whether it's (laughs) marine plastics, um, oil, nitrogen runoff, all that stuff. You know, mm. We're just hammering the ocean and this is an opportunity to turn that around and try and try and fix things basically.
0: Yeah. Oh, fair play to you. So how how can um I mean there's about to be people who listen and, and want to support this, but how 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 do you control support? How or how can people support what you're trying to do? Is it by awareness so, um, or input or
1: Yeah, I mean um we're, we're always looking for, I guess, uh, input in different ways. So, um, access to, I guess, without sugarcoating it, finances um, and influence. Yeah.
0: Those give give me dollar. Give me dollar now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, you know, if you've got contacts that go up the chain and you're like, yep, they should know about this, then tell them about it. You know? mm. and, and hopefully they think, yep, it's a genuine issue. Let's, let's talk about it. Mm. Alternatively, things like, um, People who go diving, Chuuk Lagoon, Bikini Atoll, um, being able to access and talk to them, um, discuss what they saw. That's a real asset as well. And going forward, we're really looking to mobilize, I guess, kind of a a citizen science, you know, if you want to put another, again, another wanky term on it. But, you know, people who, who want to go help, um, who've got a GoPro, um, who are willing to spend a couple of dives recording parts of a ship. Mm. Then we're really keen to kind of tap into that as well and that's we don't really have anything set up right now mm. um Pete mesley again as I said before he's doing some great stuff mm. but to kind of build towards that system where people go on their holiday and go oh you know I've been here for 10 days so I'll, I'll spend one day recording the you know the fore part of one of the ships or something like that so yeah. just building that and connecting with with other divers and getting the message out there
0: yeah And Is is there a way, um, I don't know, I'm I'm just thinking of a million things at at once right now, but when you go and do your explorations of particular locations, is there a way that people can come with you um, or is that completely off the books?
1: It's not completely off the books. We're looking at ways we can kind of um, make that work. So, Mm. for example, um, down the track, when places like Bikini Atoll open, it might be the option that we actually set up a charter and fill it with people, like-minded people who Mm. want to. Explore these amazing wrecks, but also commit a little bit of time to to surveying, to recording them. Yeah. So that's probably down the track a bit, um, especially with COVID. But yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's that's part of it too, is you know, some of these divers, you know, some of the guys listening, mm. incredibly talented divers, mm. um, all the cameras, all the gear, and they just want to use it for something, yeah, something positive. So yeah, more than happy to to engage with that that aspect.
0: That'd be awesome. Nice little money spender, put some Pennies in the coffer help you guys. Well, that's the
1: thing too. I mean, obviously, operating in some of these places is so bloody expensive. Yeah, um, even just paying fuel and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's um, not a not an easy, cheap um, problem that we've tried to solve. <laughs>
0: Fingers crossed for a Lotto win. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right, Maddie. Uh, is there anything that you want to uh, give a shout out to? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, um, I guess there's two aspects to, to kind of what we're doing with the maritime archaeology yeah. side of stuff. Um, all across the world, there are organisations which um, interested divers can get involved with. So in the in the UK, there's the Nautical Archaeology Society, and they do amazing stuff in that part of the world. Mm-hmm. Here in um, Australasia, we've got the Australasian Institute for Maritime Archaeology. Go online, have a bit of a look at that, and. We do training courses and things like that to to get divers out and show them how to record shipwrecks. But I guess more um, more centrally to what I'm doing, um, Mm. the Major Projects Foundation. So get online, have a look at our website, um, Mm. majorprojects.org.au, and see what we're doing, get a bit more kind of information. Uh, If you're feeling generous, I think there's a donate (laughs) donate button there. (laughs) Um, And even if you're interested, uh, follow us on Facebook, Major projects on Facebook, and I've got Facebook and um, Instagram, and I think we we're talking about Twitter the other yeah. day. Twitter's well, you're, <laughs> you're, well,
0: I mean, you're pretty active on there, aren't you? You seem to if, if people make a comment, then you you pretty pretty much jump on it and, and give a reply. I try to.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah it's a good distraction from um, <laughs> other things. <laughs> good. Well, all those uh, bits and pieces and the links, especially the donation button. Let's. Let's get, a, let's get them put in the, uh, in, the, in the notes that go with this podcast as well and hopefully people can follow it through there and, and give you some support.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we understand times are tough for a lot of people and, and mm. part of it can just be, um, you know, you're down the pub, you say something to your mate of a mate of a mate who ends up owning a um, massive import-export business and you know, is looking for a tax write-off or something. So, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're happy to take we, – we are we're a fully registered uh, charity So we've got all the paperwork for tax deductible um, donations. So we're not doing this by halves. We're we're
0: genuine. Okay, so all those divers that are listening in and around Sydney that work in the city, in the banks that have got loads of money, get in touch with Matt Carter. Dr. (laughs) Matt Carter. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Happy days. Um, Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for
1: having me, Matt. I really appreciate it. Um, It's been fun
0: yeah Uh, it'd be great to have you back on um as and when you've done that little bit down in melbourne as well is chopper going on that with with you as well
1: oh i don't know i'm sure he is a a burning and he's keen but (laughs) the hard thing is it's like the weather down here so you you plan something Mm. and the weather turns to shit and you know someone's bought flights and accommodation all the rest of it so Mm. it it might be easier for us i think for a start just to do it a little bit more um Local with the local team. Yeah, who knows? It really depends.
0: Yeah, see how desperate he gets for a dive down south.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think he's calling my phone now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent, Matty. Thank you very much, sir, and I wish you best of luck. Let's let's do this again at some point and have a little catch up. See how far you're getting down the road.
1: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it. This is Scuba Go Go -Go 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 and the Sea, the podcast for the inquisitive diver.